Hello and welcome to the 9320 podcast for the third episode of what is our World Cup series. Um, I'm Lloyd and I'm your host this week, uh, no ace at the moment, um, but I'm joined by Steve Tudor as I often am. Um, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good thanks, how are you mate? Yeah, all good, all good. Buzzing to be honest, only two days now. Yeah, yeah, it, it's feeling, it's caught me by surprise, it's one of those like Christmas often happens where you get really excited kind of prematurely and then you fall into this kind of dip and then all of a sudden it just happens. It's right there on your doorstep. That's how it feels for me. I was really, really excited about three weeks ago um, and then it just couldn't come quick enough and now it's here and it just, I don't know where the time's gone. So it's the World Cup is upon us. It's brilliant. No, definitely. And I think all of us can't wait for that first game. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Saudi. No, but it, it gets it kicked off, doesn't it? And I think that's the most important thing. Um, okay, and then also tonight, I'm joined by uh, James Ingham, um, and it's his debut tonight. Uh, so, James, I'll let you just give a very brief introduction to our listeners on who you are. Thanks, Lloyd. Uh, hi, all. Yeah, James Ingham. I've uh, been a City fan all my life. Um, looking forward to getting involved and contributing to the 9320 podcast. Uh, very excited, like Lloyd and Steve, for the World Cup to begin. Uh, got my retro shirt ready and my England flags pinned up outside the house. So I can't wait to get going. Good man. Good man. That's a good intro. Um, okay, well, I'll start with you first, James. Um, okay. So we're going to start with England, um, just briefly. Um, general vibe. Obviously, two days away. The players flew out today. Um, and I think it's fair to say, you know, especially especially in my lifetime, I don't think there's ever been kind of uh, levelled off positivity as there is around this squad, just in terms of there's just very little, I don't know, bad feeling. And I know we had the Sterling thing, but I think Southgate has fostered a really positive atmosphere. The players seem really relaxed. They've been way more open than previous. I think that's that's been a real big thing. But yeah, how what what are your thoughts and how yeah, how do you feel with two days ahead? Yeah, well, I'm glad you just touched on Southgate because by every day, every day that passes, he's really growing on me. I think he's uh, uh, holding himself really well in the media. I think he did well when he came out and he backed Sterling. Um, you know, he made Sterling apologise to the group as well for being late. So, so I think that kind of um, showed who's in charge and, and demanded Sterling's respect a little bit. Uh, I do think there's some really positive vibes. I think there's a lot of youth in the squad. There's a lot of pace. There's a lot of energy in the squad, and I think that's helping. You know, gone are the days where we're picking name, picking a squad on based on reputation, based on names. I think if that was the case, we might have Joe Hart in the squad. We might still have Rooney going. So it's quite refreshing, really, to see a manager picking people on talent uh, and maybe on potential as well. No, I, I completely agree. I think the interesting thing about Southgate is, I think, like almost everyone, I was quite underwhelmed by the appointment initially, and um, you know, I don't think it was any anyone or anything that anyone was particularly drawn to. But I think. You know, credit to him. He took big calls early in getting rid of Rooney, and obviously now he's carted heart. I think he's been very good with how he's approached the media, um, and yeah, I think he's made some some obviously big calls when it came to the squad. So I've been really impressed with him. But yeah, Steve, I'll throw it over to you. What what are your obviously? I, we all know that you're a Wales fan, but what are your <laughs> um, what are your what's your kind of vibe with only a couple of days away? I'm I'm an England fan until England get knocked out. So. Um, and I, I'm fully behind kind of um, the three lions, and uh, I have my flags out the window too. Uh, the last bit is, is a lie. <laughs> yeah, I've been really, really impressed with Gareth Southgate, and it continues to impress with each passing day. Uh, the media have tried to throw curveballs at him, and he's responded by just batting them away with a straight bat. 
Um, he's dealt with the players fairly. He's treated them like adults. And he's put together a kind of young, promising team full of potential who are willing to express themselves. I love the anecdote about what he said to them before the Costa Rica game, I think, where he told them to make mistakes. Didn't say it's okay if you make mistakes. You know, a player is, ex- is expected to hear that from his manager. He told them, he said, I want you to go out there and make mistakes. I want you to express yourself and try things. That's great. An England manager saying that. The last England manager pro- yeah, and the last England manager who probably said that was Kevin Keegan, who, you know, God love him, but he had his flaws. Um, where Southgate, he's Mr. Pragmatic, isn't he? He's Mr. Sensible, Mr. Reserved, and yet he's still saying such things, realising that he's utilising the best strength he has at his disposal, which is just kind of the lack of expectation what's around the country right now. There's so little pressure on these lads to go out and perform. Everyone's pessimistic. Everyone's expecting us to, at best, make the quarterfinals. So, hell, just go out there and just play play your best football, show what you can do, and just get the country excited. I genuinely believe that England can do something a bit special this summer. I, I honestly do. That's good to hear. I mean, I... I am cautiously optimistic because I think that's just the natural natural of being uh, an England fan from the British yeah. Isles in general. But no, I do agree. I mean, um, I just think he's. I just think a lot of this, a lot of the credit for for basically what is good about England at the moment has to go to him. And yeah, I just think for so, I think it, it it's really helped that there's been someone who has been a player quite recently and who has been a part of a previous you know massive failure for England in obviously the penalty. Um, and what happened afterwards, and you know his, his Mars bar advert, and all the all the, all the rest. So he knows what it's like to be on that receiving end, um, and just someone who's. I think a, another big thing for me has just been just a such more modern approach from the previous England managers that have been who've generally been sixty somethings, and yeah. there's been a lot of hardline approaches. And I just don't think the modern player, the modern person, if you look at kind of the personalities and people like Sterling and. Deli Alley and etc. That's just not how to manage those players. And if you look at if you look across the domestic game, you know all the kind of visionaries and the coaches that are best engaging and getting things out of the players. Your Pochettino's, Klopp's, Guardiola's, who, you know, that kind of new breed. And as weird as it sounds to 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 put Gareth Southgate in that company, which I'm not saying he's nearly on the achievements, but I think his approach tallies quite well with those. And I think that's you know partly a lot of the reason why it's it's gone pretty well. It comes down to communication for me. I, I think uh, an international boss, to succeed as an international manager, you have to be very astute uh, and very good in communication. And in the latter, Southgate has, you know, he's A-plussed it so far in how he's kind of talked to the media. Um, like I said earlier, he's, he's dealt them a straight bat. Um, but he's also withheld information when necessary. He hasn't kind of seeded, to, he hasn't people-pleased he doesn't have a clique of kind of reporters who, who you know, he regards as friends and wants favours for them and, and back and two. Like There's Allardyce, none of that. yeah. Like Allardyce, yeah. He, he's just very fair with them. Um, and, you know, his, his revision to um, a three-man defence is a perfect example of that. If, if another manager had done that, a lot of the press might have seen the backsides by, by not, you know, being leaked that beforehand. Um, but what can they say? He was absolutely fair and honest and, and straightforward. Uh, right, right across the board, and so they had to just go with it and and kind of back him for it, and so that really bodes well that as well. It's and just furthermore, I, I think he's been brave in his decisions. He's committed to his decisions, 
And going back to that communication thing, he's explained his decisions as well. Mm. Um, so it's not just the players he's treating like adults. He's he's treating the, the journalists like adults too. And, and it's he's reaping a reward so far. I think a, a couple of good results beyond, obviously, you know, Tunisia and um, uh, Panama, who we'd, we'd expect to beat. Um, but a couple of good be- results beyond that, I think the country is going to be bang behind this team and really behind Southgate. Yeah, no, I agree. And just, just, just the final thing on Southgate, I think, uh, just to build on a point you made is, you know, whilst I appreciate a lot of fans don't kind of care how a manager or whoever comes across with the media and how they engage with the media, but ultimately engaging with the media means that you're engaging with the fans. Um, yeah. And I think the way, like you said, that not only is he, he's explained his decisions in, in terms of a footballing sense, but the way that he's had... Um, kind of the gumption to to sit there and explain his thoughts on you know some political issues, some kind of social issues, some worldly issues, and you know not do the just boring manager thing of just you know not not commenting on that. I think he's you know he's he's got views and he's happy to put them across. And I think that in itself has been really refreshing. And obviously, anyone that calls out Boris Johnson, I think gets a thumbs up from me. Well, that's what I was referring to earlier as well by you know curveball because you know the media that, that's that's a curveball from them. Uh, and you know you can imagine him just kind of just leaning forward a little in their seats, waiting for his response, and um, waiting to stitch him up basically. And so what did he do? He responded in, in a mature and honest fashion. And so they they had to report that. Brilliant. How refreshing is that? You know, just kind of why why can't all managers do that? No, definitely, definitely. Um, okay, right, uh, James, I'm going to throw this over to you. Strengths. What what are England's strengths? What do you see as what do you see as going well? Uh, I, th- I think the strengths are, I think we've, we've got two really quality uh, wing-backs in there at the moment. I think with Walker, I think with uh, Danny Rose, uh, and then the backups that we've got as well as t- on top of that. So, you know, we've got young Trent from Liverpool. We've got Trippier, so we've got brilliant options out, out wide. Uh, we've got Ashley Young, we've got Delph who can play there as well. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Pickford as well. I think Pickford's really good. And it's something else that... Uh, Southgate's done really well to his credit is he started off and he didn't know who his number one goalkeeper was up until a couple of months ago there's probably still question marks over it until maybe the last round of qualifiers Pickford came in and he was brilliant with his feet he made some quality saves uh, and re- he's really like nailed down that number one shirt now so I think you know I think we've got a really good goalkeeper uh, I think we've got some good wing backs and then on top of that you know we've got the, the raw talent of the likes of Sterling we've got Kane we've got Ali who can be unpredictable um, so yeah I think going forward we'll, we'll be strong as well and I'd like to see and I think what we will do as opposed to previous World Cups gone by under Capello under Hodgson we were quite defensive uh, we were quite willing to surrender possession and we didn't really make t- take many chances on the ball but I think under Southgate we will be progressive we will be forward thinking and you know we will look to take the game to other teams as well um, hopefully we can do that throughout the group stage throughout the three group stages and you never know we could end up uh, topping the group if we take take the game to what I think are either equal or lesser opposition If you had to pick someone out as someone that you think is going to go well who who would you pick? I won't be biased. I'm going to say Kane. I'm going to say Kane. I can see Kane scoring goals. Um, I think, you know, we've got we've got Tunisia, we've got Panama as our first two games. Um, you know, they, they are weaker opposition, or you'd like to think that they're weaker opposition. Harry Kane scores for fun for Tottenham against a lesser opposition in the Premier League. So I'd like to see Kane, you know, get, getting, off the, getting off the mark early, getting a couple of goals early doors, um, and, you know, loads of confidence in him, and hopefully we can progress uh, into the qualifiers from there. 
any concerns about his fitness or do you think he's got himself into a little bit of form at the end of the season? Yeah, I, I think he's recovered that at the end of the season, yeah. I okay. think maybe if it was a week or two later, uh, maybe a month or so later, but no, no, 100%, 100% now I think he is. Um, you know, he's looked good in the uh, in the friendly as well against Nigeria, so hopefully him and Sterling can get a good combination up front. Okay, and Steve, same same for you. What do you see as kind of the innate strengths um, in terms of how, how, how do you think how you think they'll go and also give me someone you think will go well I know I think you you also picked Loftus-Cheek same as me last time but has yeah. that changed since the two friendlies or because that's no, interesting to get your view well I don't think Loftus-Cheek will start uh, the opening game but if he does get given an opportunity if he does come into the tournament I, I think he'll really do well he's just I've got the right mentality for tournament football from a young player you know he's, he's got that great combination of being desperate to prove himself and then absolutely unhindered by any kind of nerves. And just got a nice little slice of arrogance about him as well. So I think he'll do well. Uh, I think Dali Ali will have a good tournament. Uh, and Jesse Lingard too. I think those two will kind of, um, you know, have successful tournaments individually. Favourite. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. But, uh, um, but yeah, going back to what James kind of finished on there, I, I think that's key for England. I, I think if Kane and Sterling can strike up a good combination, which we've kind of seen little glimpses of here and there um, to show that that can happen. Um, and we've all seen it in the past as well, with like you know, famously with Beardsley and Lineker in 86. That can just come to life, just kind of combust in, in, in a tournament. So should that happen, you're looking about, you're talking about a front two there with 48 Premier League goals between them this season. You know, that, you, that's hard to replicate across any kind of... Um, of the World Cup rivals, you know, to have that firepower up top. Uh, so that's, that's key for England, I think. You would expect Kane to, to get off a mark and, and get a couple. You would hope that Raheem Sterling would kind of um, break his, you know, as it's termed in the media, their kind of goal drought. Um, but how they kind of combine together, if they do well, then England could do very well. And Steve, sticking with you, what do you see being what do you see being the weaknesses? Where do you think England could get exposed? If we're thinking, you know, if we if we're thinking they'll probably will get out of the group, then where do you see, you know, where do you see the weaknesses coming? Well, I, I mean, I've just said then I, I expect Loftus Cheek to have a good tournament, um, but in the centre mid, um, it's no secret that England kind of are sure of quality and quantity in central midfield area. Um, you know, it's Jordan Henderson in there, who I think gets, you know, who's seriously under undervalued. I think Jordan Henderson for the type of player that he is, but he is still that type of player. Um, and when you start coming up against the Brazils and against the Argentinas and against the Spains, he's not going to be out his death by any means. Jordan Henderson, I think, is you know a high quality, high caliber footballer, but we just do lack that. I, I, I don't know that kind of creativity in the central area um, further up yeah we've got an abundance of talent there but in that central area and, and as a cliche goes games are won and lost in, in the centre of midfield so um, that ultimately could cost England when you get to the quarters and the semis and beyond Any concerns about the goals in this England team in that the one thing that I that, that... One thing, kind of taking a step back, even as a City fan, that I think is a bit concerning is, for me, this team is, it looks incredibly reliant on Kane to score goals. And 
I think the reason for that is as much as you know as big a fan of Sterling as I am, he hasn't managed to to con, you know to convert that goal scoring record yet for England nearly closely to what he's 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 done for City. And yes, I think you know as we saw with with Shearer in that tournament when he went in and never hadn't scored a goal, um, hadn't scored a tournament goal. You know, you could get one and it kicks off. But I, I just look at the team and you know, given that there's five at the back and we'll be playing at least one. Uh, defensive midfielder I, I'm i I'm a bit fearful around a lack of goals is that something you see or do you disagree? I partly agree um, I, I would say that Welbeck and Rashford always seem to perform in an England shirt and they always seem to score in an England shirt as well particularly Welbeck um, so if Welbeck stays fit throughout the tournament then we've, we've certainly got goals as backup and of course Jamie Vardy scored 20 Premier League goals last season in a, in a you know quite mediocre Leicester team as well so I think it can be shared around. They haven't been to this point. I, I take your point. But um, yeah, so much changes in a tournament. It, it is just a, a different kind of set of rules altogether and different things happen. So what we've seen so far in qualifying in friendlies, um, you know, friendlies in themselves are separate to the rest of football. And the qualifying against kind of the calibre of teams that we've played Again, that's not really comparable to what we'll be facing. Sorry, what England will be facing. Hey. <laughs> Damn World Cup fever. Caught slipping. <laughs> I think as well, Lloyd, I think we've got uh, a bit of a goal threat from midfield as well. I think with Ali and Lingard, I, I think they get themselves into really good positions. You know, a couple of seasons ago, Ali was electric in front of goal and Lingard's had his best season in front of goal as well. So I think with those two playing in the number eight positions, as we like to say, I think they, they can offer a threat for us. And then, yeah, with, with the options off the bench as well. I mean, Vardy's got a good record for England and I'd probably trust him one-on-one ahead of most other players that we've got in the squad, really. No, I, I take the point. I think for me, I'm... No, I completely see where you're coming from. I, I agree with Steen that I think there's a lot of goals on the bench. My only concern is just when you look at that, what will what you know is almost likely to be the starting eleven. Um, I just have a little bit of a concern around when you look at Lingard, you look at Ali, and you look at Sterling, and you look at their international goals because you know fundamentally that does have something to do with it. Given you know, irrespective of how good their seasons have been or whatever, because there are going to be other players in this tournament with serious international pedigree. I'm a little bit cautious, but then also I think this team, a little bit like Steve said at the very beginning, is there's a, there's a potential for me. I think is if if they if they start well in the, those first two games and rack up six points, I think things could could go in a good direction. So we'll have to see. Um, okay, last question on England, um, Steve. Just on the starting lineup, do you just expect it to be basically the team that it was against Nigeria, or do you see? Any any changes? Maybe Danny Rose, or do you think it it will be that team that played against Nigeria? There's two possibilities for me. Um, that is Danny Rose, as you say, to come in possibly, um, and there's a possibility of Rashford. Um, you know, he really put in a good show last week, and he may have just kind of changed in, instead of Sterling. I mean, um, I don't expect that to happen, but I wouldn't be overly surprised if it did happen. Um, so, yeah, I think the nature of the two opening games, of the fact that we are playing two teams that you, that kind of you'd expect England to beat, um, means that he might, Southgate might go into it thinking, right, I'm going to play Sterling in one and Rashford in the other and, and treat them not as friendly as, of course, it's a World Cup for God's sake, but kind of in that kind of isolated area at least, see it as kind of a, an audition, a piece for the two of them. 
Um, and then whoever performs best kind of start against Belgium. Um, you know, like I say, it's unlikely, but it wouldn't overly surprise me that. Fair enough. What about for you, James? Yeah, I think Danny Rose has to start. Um, again, I think Ashley Young's had a good season for United, uh, but I think in that game at Wembley, I think we really lacked a, a left footer playing out there. I think it's really needed in the system where you've only got one player out wide, that you'd need that person to be left footed or right footed if you're on the right hand side. Um, I mean, probably a question straight back at you, Steve. Do you not think we can play Sterling and Rashford and Kane in the, in the same side, play, play a 3 4 3, and maybe at the expense of Lingard and Ali? and play with two defence midfielders, two holders, put Delph and Dyer there, or Henderson and Dyer? Yeah, I, I, that is also an option. Um, I, you know, there's a, there's a few kind of bit of chatter about that at the moment, so that could conceivably happen as well. Um, but that that would really be a case of horses for courses. I think that would work in certain games and not in others. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, it w- I wouldn't be surprised if Southgate goes with that, with at least one of those games uh, be opening two. Yeah, I'd quite like to see that. I think it would be a really positive step from Southgate. I think we could, uh, yeah, I think we could get off the mark early, get some goals, you know, get the three points under our belt, and move on to the next game. Um, the only other thing for me is I'd love to see Walker playing at wing back rather than rather than at centre back. For me, he's probably the best right back in the world, and I think we're taking a lot of his strengths away from him by playing him in the back three. Um, yeah. So maybe there's a case for Walker playing instead of Trippier and bringing in. Cahill or Maguire in, into that position uh, but it looks like uh, his mindset on that one is probably due to the pace as well that he's got because the rest of the back three or the other two of the back three are pretty slow really so I think it's probably due to Walker's pace that he plays in that position but I would rather see him out wide I think that's something we've we've discussed on previous pods as well um, yeah. it is yeah it is, a, it is an interesting one and I think ultimately it's something that you know it'll be lived by the sword die by the sword for Southgate on that one but yeah we'll have to see how it plays out the only thing I would would add is just on what Steve on what you said about Rashford for me as good as Rashford was the other night I think it would be and I think Jonathan Liu kind of made this point that it would be it would be crazy for me to to basically divert away from the team and the system that you've essentially been building for two years which is you know ever since Southgate has come in it's it's revolved heavily around Sterling and to change yeah. your plans and something that I'm sure Southgate as a, as a manager given the amount of time that you have off as an inter- international manager to change what would be your plan based on you know a good performance against Costa Rica I think for me would be you know a, a bit ridiculous and it also wouldn't be something that I'd expect from Southgate given what we've kind of seen of him and the kind of um, thought out and considered by the years but we see it so often in tournaments kind of a, a change as they go along um, you know Famously, we saw it in 1990 with a switch to three at the back, kind of you know, after one game, um, and, and you see it with kind of injuries occurring in, in opening games for England as well. It, it, you know, the past is littered with examples of kind of England starting off with one strategy going into a World Cup, and then a player just comes to the fore. I mean, you know, as we discussed, I believe Ross was she could that he could be that player, um, and he can make a real name for himself, even if he's not even if he's only on the periphery at the start of that World Cup. Um, who's to say the same doesn't apply for Rashford? Um, he's certainly got a talent to do so, and I think he will get some game time. At, was it the last World Cup, or was it the Euros where... It was Euros, wasn't it? Where, Euros where he came on, looked really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the kid deserves more than that. And, you know, that's a City fan talking about a United player. No, I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that you should take the place of Sterling. I, I'm, as James said earlier, I think you know Rashford and Sterling and Kane could play together and it would be formidable. Yeah, no, agreed with that. Yeah, completely agree. Um, 
Cool. Right. Let's move it on to some of the biggest contenders. So we're going to start with Brazil. Um, partly because I think they're most people's favourites. I think they're the bookies' favourites. But also because I think there's a there's an interesting discussion to have about them, which is that, and this is something that um, Tim Vickery uh, has written a piece on, which is that they've gone into and they did the whole of the South American qualifying campaign with a set midfield free of Renato, Augusto, Casemiro and Paulinho. And over the last couple of friendlies, because of basically fears about it being too industrious and because of a poor performance against Croatia, they've done what a lot of people have been saying they should do, which is move Coutinho back into that midfield midfield three as kind of the um, you know third most advanced, kind of a bit like a number 10, um, a little bit like he did for Liverpool. And now go with Willian and Neymar either side of Gabriel Jesus. Um, James, first of all, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think... You know, changing what has been you know, a tried and tested formula and has got them to a fantastic position in topping the South American qualification by miles. Is that a risk, or do you, or do you think actually, when you look at that midfield of Renato, Casemiro, Paulinho, that it's probably the right thing to do? I would say it's potentially the right thing to do, but like you say, they won the group, they won the qualifiers by ten points, didn't they? Um, so why why change why fix something if it's not broken? The only the only thing that I think they're trying to do is squeezing that extra attacking player. Potentially, what I was trying to do with getting Rashford and Sterling in the same time. Um, the the big question for them is obviously what, what, um, with Coutinho is is he is he going to play in the centre or is he going to be on the on the on the wings? So. I personally have been a lot better. I like the idea of having Pace either side of uh, uh, Gabriel Jesus with uh, Neymar and either Douglas Costa or William playing either side. I think that'd work really well for him. I think he'd be a really good foil for those two for those two wingers. And then obviously Coutinho in behind, cr- creating a lot um, with, with, the, with the passing range that he's got. Sad to see that Fernandinho is not going to get in the team as well because I think he's had a brilliant season, Fernandinho. So it's uh, on a personal note, it's quite sad to see that he's just going to be sat warming the bench. How do you see if you, if you had to if you yeah if you had to put your balls on the line <laughs> nail your colours to the mast how do you <laughs> how do you see Brazil going are they winners for I, you or yeah winners for me winners for me I think the okay. big difference between this World Cup and the 2014 World Cup is they've improved central defence obviously David Luiz isn't in the squad they've they've, they've drawn in Miranda from from Inter Milan um, he he starts now with Thiago Silva. Um, and then the strength and depth that they've got in that midfield, you know, we've just said Fernandinho doesn't get in the team. Fred United's new signing doesn't get in the team as well. So they are defensively, I think they're a lot stronger than what they are last time around from four years ago. And on top of that as well, the centre forward, uh, their number nine was Fred last time around, the uh, the, the striker. Um, you know, what an improvement, what uh, Gabriel <laughs> Jesus is on that. I don't think Fred scored a goal in that World Cup, did he? So, you know, I, I quite fancy Gabby and to go Firmino away. as well. Cool. And Firmino back up, yeah. Um, you know, I'm looking at an accumulator which has got Brazil to win and uh, Gabriel Jesus top scorer. So, um, yeah, I, I, I quite fancy get Gabby in this tournament to do uh, to do something special. Okay, what about what about for you, Steve? Yeah, well, Robbie Blakely from the Rio Times said that a good 18 months ago, it was William and um, Neymar and Jesus was going to be Brazil's front three, and that was going to be it. That was set in stone. So as you said, it was it was more kind of tinkering around with midfield, um, and they've done that. And we've seen in the recent friendlies they are looking formidable at the moment. They're looking slick. They're looking peerless. So they're always going to be one of the favourites anyway because they're Brazil and and they're kind of rich kind of um, 
kind of reserves of talent that they have there. But I think they're really looking good. I, I think they're, they're my tip to win it. Um, whoever knocks them out, you would expect to go on and win it. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Allison the keeper, because I've seen him four times now, and all four times he's looked shaky and, and not particularly good. He must be quite some keeper to kind of keep Edison out of the team. So I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, as much as I'm looking forward to kind of seeing the f- front three. Um, Jay Zeus, I think, is going to have a storming tournament. I think, James, you've got a, a, a top bet there because I, I just think this is going to be his time. Um, and so, yeah, I, what can you say about Brazil? That hasn't been said already. You know, it's just it was a joy to watch. Um, and they are the World Cup, aren't they? They are. I mean, they have won it so many times. Um, I, I agree. I agree with both of you. I think for me, if if I think a lot, well, I think a lot rests on Neymar for me. I think if he is, if he is as fit as it looks like he is, then then yeah, for me they're favourites. Um, I mean, that goal he scored the other day, woof. Yeah, that was a ridiculous yeah. goal. Um, I think the only thing. I think the thing for me though is they are. I think we mentioned this on the previous pod. They do look weak at right back. I think Danilo being your second choice right back, whilst I don't think he's a bad second choice, I think to have him as your first choice, um, I think he could definitely get exposed. I mean, obviously, I think, you know, largely City fans are, think he is a good player, but I don't think he's that top international class that some of the other right backs on the world stage will be. And I think there's definitely a chance that given his defensive discipline and Marcelo's. Uh, often lack of defensive discipline that they definitely could be got, but um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, I but think that's always the case, isn't it, Brazil? Like, it's you know, but kind of having these kind of flamboyant defenders um, that could potentially be their undoing. Um, you know, aside from the Dunga years, that's always been Brazil, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I just, I just think Danilo actually defensively, whilst not being that flamboyant, is. Not as good as a lot of oh, yeah, right yeah. backs. So, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, if that's their if that's their only issue, then you know, I think that's that's the point we're really picking hairs. Um, okay, right. Move on to Spain next. Who are my tip if Neymar isn't fit? I know it's probably not fair to couch it like that, but that's how I'm going to go go with it. Um, James, I mean, let me start by just reading you what will probably be their starting lineup. Um, so De Gea, Carvajal, Pique. Ramos, Jordi Alba, then a midfield of Busquets, Thiago, Iniesta, Isco, David Silva, with what will probably be Diego Costa, but could be a couple of others up front. I mean, bloody hell, what what an unbelievable team that is. Um, yeah, quick thoughts on, on Spain, James, but also yeah, I'd like your thoughts on um, who do you think should play up, up front for, for Spain? Yeah, I think that's an incredible 11. It was like picking a FIFA team, that almost. Uh, Yes, it's so good. Very, very strong. What excites me about Spain this year as well is that they they appear to have a plan B. Um, So previous World Cups, I think they've become a little bit one-dimensional, almost playing six centre midfielders at times. David Silva was playing up front. Um, This year, you know, they've got the likes of Asensio. They've got Lucas Vazquez in the squad. So they've got a real plan B. They've got, you know, electric pace outside. Um, either side of a centre forward who I think should be Diego Costa um, I think he's I think he's the right man I think he's going to be well up for it as well 
Um, you know, I th- don't think I think he missed out on a recent squad for them in a recent competition, so he's going to be hungry to prove his point. Obviously, back, back playing in Spain at Atletico now, so I think that'll uh, I think that'll jeer him on a little bit to, to perform well. Um, and you know, he, he's an excellent forward, isn't he? He's, he's up there with the best number nines in the world, and he proved that over and over again at Chelsea, winning games single handedly for them. So, uh, yeah, frightening side, um, but yeah, I think I think they'll do really well, uh, but I can't see them getting past Brazil. Just, just on Costa, James, um, do you think there's potentially an argument and quite a strong argument to say that, you know, whilst I agree he's probably one of the best forwards in the world and he's, you know, a battering ram of a centre forward, he's never, he's never done it for Spain and he's never played in a team that is so possession heavy and kind of, um, well, yeah, possession focused really and he's played often in a counter-attacking team and that's where he's thrived uh, with a bit more space. Do you think he could struggle? Because I mean, I know in the last World Cup, he um, he he did come into it with an injury. But he, every time I've seen him play for Spain, apart from one game, he's looked so off the pace for me and just not not able to kind of knit it together like David Villa did. Yeah, maybe I'm, potentially the other way of looking at that is you know he's, he's a target man who can hold the ball up, so he's somebody that all the all the skillful mid, midfield players can play around. Um, I, yeah, I mean, like I say, I think he's the best number nine that they've got, and, and I'd certainly be picking him. But on the basis that he can hold the ball up, he can turn him behind if needs be. Um, you know, if they're playing the exciting wingers either side, then he's going to be a, a good option in the middle for them as well. Okay, fair enough. And um, Steve, for you as well, do you think, you know, given what James was saying, then um, kind of the the ridiculous depth that they've got in those attacking midfield positions, do you not think there's actually, you know, maybe an argument to play? A false nine again and play silver up front and move Asensio into one of the wide places. I would rather watch that as a fan. I'd rather you know, kind of um, they did that. But in terms of kind of what's best for Spain, um, possibly not. Again, we're going back to horses for courses and different kind of uh, games and different disciplines and different demands. So you know, as James said, there will be times where they'll want Costa there as a figurehead and other players to play around him. Um, just to kind of keep their shape. The, the downside with Diego Costa is going into a tournament is if you do well, you're playing, what, six games. You're playing with six different referees from six, you know, five different continents, all with different disciplines, all very much kind of, you know, some uh, referees will be lenient, some will be kind of uh, stringent. Um, some will kind of blow up for something, one uh, will blow up for another. And now I know FIFA are trying and make it as uniform as they can across uh, World Cups, but that's just not always going to be the case. And someone like Diego Costa and the kind of type of physical player that he is, you would expect that during one of those games, he's going to rub a referee up the wrong way and he's going to get an early book in and then he's just a danger to himself. So there is always that, that, that danger there with, with Costa. Um but his positives far outweigh the negatives, and, and you know, like James, I would start with Costa, um, and then go move forward from there. Just for, and how do you think Spain will do if you had to just give a quick quick answer? I'd, I'd expect them to get to semi-finals. Beyond that, it's just kind of it's impossible. I mean, Brazil, Spain, semi-finals. It, who would you call out of those two? You know, if they were paired together, it, it's just whoever wins on the days, and it's just fate to decide. It's a mouthwatering tie, that isn't it? Brazil against yeah. Spain in the semi-final. <laughs> Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's. It, I do think the semis is just a bit like the Champions League as, as well, isn't it? That you just it's just get to the semis and then and it, literally anything can happen. I think that's just tournament football. Um, 
Okay, right. Last stop, we're just going to touch on France um, because I think there's just a bit. I don't know. There's just a bit more to say about France than Germany. I'm I'm not I'm not as po- well positive is the wrong word, but I'm not as kind of hopeful for the Germany team as as maybe some others. Um, and well, I know Asan's you know very hopeful about about France, and I do think personally with a better manager, um, given that squad, they'd definitely be the outright favourites. I mean, the the flair and the attacking talent is just ridiculous it's like a club team um steve quick thoughts on on france what what quick thoughts on their chances given deschamps and also who would you start in midfield would pogba be there yeah pogba would start i I think he's i mean i'm just judging on what i've seen of pogba in france in the last couple of years and i always he always seems to play really well for france whenever i watch he always seems to work for them um and you know in the, in the system they play, he seems to fit into that system. So, I, you know, I don't. I'm always quite a bit, a bit confused when I read about people kind of um, saying shouldn't uh, Pogba play for France? Well, yes, he's one of the best in his position in the world. So even with a, even with when you look at you know the options being Kante, Matuidi, Tolisso, Inzonzi, you still yeah. go for Pogba? Yeah, absolutely, I would. Yeah, without a question, there's no question there. It's um, I, I don't. Am I overrating Pogba there? Am I seeing something of his art? I don't know. He's. I just think he's um, he's unplayable when he's on on his best form and when he's in his element. Um, and the times that I've seen him play for France, he always seems to be in his element. So uh, for me personally, it's a no-brainer. Anyway, um, it's funny when you said there about Germany because when we're talking about a, you know a hypothetical Brazil v Spain semi-final. I just very quickly thought, what would be my other kind of dream semi-final? And you know, that would be France Germany, uh, and a repeat of kind of you know the '82 kind of game, a fractious, memorable game. So, um, I think France have very much got enough about them to get to the semi-finals and beyond. Uh, I think their their front three, when they click, and if they click, there's no one better. I actually think I'd put them on a level above Brazil slightly. I know how controversial that is. Um, but if Mbappe and Griezmann and um, yeah, if Eogan and Dembele, if they click, that's just going to be enthralling to watch. So France are my pick to win, and um, that's where I've, I've put they? my five in it. Oh yeah, I've, I've put my five on a couple of weeks ago on them. Um, it was kind of eight to one. I couldn't pass eight, eight to one up on France because what I just said about front three can be extended throughout the team if they click. You just look at the talent they've got there. Um, they've really, really got the goods, I think, this time. What about what about for you, James? Quick thoughts on Pogba as well. Yeah, Pogba has, has to start. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm quite looking forward to seeing him in this World Cup. I think he could, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think potentially he could, he could show us, you know, kind of what we, everybody was expecting when he was when he signed for United. Uh, I'd like to see him played alongside Matuidi and Kante. I think that'd be good for him. They could do they could do like the legwork for him, and he could really let Pogba show his class. Um, you know, the front three: Dembele, uh, Mbappe, and Griezmann is just frightening, isn't it? My Sounds concern, like Giroud's going to start, though. To be fair, I mean, he's stuck with Giroud throughout the whole qualifying campaign. Right. Okay. 
there's the uh, there's the target man that we're talking about in Costa, isn't it? Somebody <laughs> to uh, somebody to do the link up play for them. Uh, my only concern with France is, is the goalkeeper. I really think uh, Hugo Lloris is on is on the wane at the moment. I think uh, maybe four or five years ago he's probably the best in the in the Premier League. Obviously De Gea has t- overtaken him now, but he's really starting to decline at the moment, Lloris. So I think potentially he may cost them at times. Um, I'm excited to see Mendy if, if Mendy's fit enough Mendy and um, will it be Sidibe that starts at right back for Monaco yeah yeah you know they've looked brilliant when City played against them for Monaco so uh, yeah re- really looking forward to seeing them and the two centre-halves as well I mean it, Varane and Mtiti going to be playing yep so, so yeah it just shows the strength that they've got all over the pitch but yeah I think the, the issue with the goalkeeper and potentially issue with the, um, the, the the manager I don't think the manager potentially at the level of maybe a uh, uh, a Yogi Love or or Tite at, at Brazil, so yeah, we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see with that one. But I think semi-finals, but I don't think potentially, I don't think they'll get past Germany in the semi-final. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned the goalie. Actually, I think that's something that I think a lot of people, well, me me definitely have been looking at the the last eighteen months and just thinking, oh, he's making a lot more howlers than he used to. Yeah, um, but no, the only the only thing I was getting out on Pogba is I, I'd start him too. I'm just playing devil's advocate, but I, I just do think, given how, given the options that they've got, it would be uh, it would be such a shame, and it would be ridiculous, really, not to play four four attacking players to only play say um, two with with Giroud up front and three of those midfielders when you've got Lamar, Mbappe, Griezmann, uh, Dembele. I mean. Uh, Three of them at least have got to be behind Giroud if you are going to play Giroud. I mean, obviously, I, I, I forgot about Lamar. It's that's, that's exactly what I'm it's, getting at. Yeah, it's, it's, scary, it's isn't it? unbelievable. I mean, they've got a, an amazing, amazing team. Um, and yeah, like I said, for me, if they had a better manager, I think they'd be favourites because they got the best squad. Um, right, okay, we're going to move on quickly to outsiders. So, the way we're going to do this is James, I'm going to ask you to give me an outsider in your opinion and just make a quick case for why you think not necessarily they'll win it but why you think they could surprise a few people yeah okay so I'm going to call out Uruguay for that one so I think they've got relatively simple group obviously they were fortunate that um, they, they've been drawn with Russia as, uh, as top seed um, you know they finished second in the South America uh, South America qualifiers as well four points above Argentina uh, and I think anybody as, as proven in previous competitions really anybody any team with the side such as um, with the quality of Cavani Suarez Diego Godin in defence I think you know their match winners um, Suarez and Cavani and I think they could take them far in this competition no. interestingly as well they, they will play the runners up in the Spain group as well which looks like it's going to be Portugal um, so yeah, I, you know, I think Portugal were quite relatively lucky to get to where they got to last year, and obviously win the um, win the Euros in 2016. Um, so potentially they could be looking at a, a route into the quarterfinals there, Uruguay. I actually think there's a chance Port- Portugal couldn't get through the group, but um, we'll we'll leave that we'll leave that for just slightly later in a couple of the pods. Um, okay, Steve, same for you. Um, just give me an outsider and why you think they'll do well. I'm going to go a slightly different route and pick a couple of outsiders I'm really interested in watching. Um, I can't wait to watch Serbia. I think they've just got an array of, of fantastically brilliant technical midfielders um, and attacking midfielders who are just a joy to watch. I don't think they'll go too far because they have just a dearth of pace at the back and you know that's going to be exploited left, right and centre. But going forward... Uh, and when in possession, Serbia are just going to be an absolute delight to watch. And the same goes for two for Croatia as well, uh, with Modric and Rakitic 
I could watch a Croatian midfield all day long. You know, that, that's football for me. And um, just lying on a sofa watching them with a cold drink, happy as Larry. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested to watch uh, South Korea as well because I was asked to write an article about South Korea last week. Didn't know too much about South Korean football, if I was honest. Uh, I knew obviously about the 2002 World Cup and I knew about the kind of um, suggestions of corruption that went on uh, consequently, you know, from their the, uh, victories over Italy and Spain and during that World Cup. Um, I had no idea of just the sheer level of corruption and bribery what goes on in that country yeah. and how they're trying to clean up their act. And this is a really, really important World Cup for them. Um, and the most important thing for them is to just compete kind of legitimately uh, and to try and entertain their kind of watching nation. So, um, yeah, it's just from a, a kind of a political stance, just to watch South Korea and see how they kind of fare. Because last time, when they accrued one point and returned home, uh, it's on YouTube if anyone wants to watch it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they had to just line up there in their suits at the airport whilst fans threw toffees at them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, that's something from North Korea. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, Serbia and Croatia are the ones that I hope are the dark horses and do well. Well, that's great because you, you took both of mine there. Um, oh, sorry, man. No, 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 it's fine. Absolutely fine. I can, I'll be incredibly brief. Completely agree. Serbia's midfield, uh, Matic, Milivojevic, Tadic, Milinkovic, Savic. I know all those names sound the same, but they are different players. Um, you know, And they've got Mitrovic up front as well. Um, so I think they could be fun, if not get that far. Yeah, yeah. Same with Croatia. Um, again, all the itches, Rakitic, Modric, Perisic, <laughs> Kramaric, Mandzukic. Again, great kind of, and then, you know, go oh, a great base up front. And then I don't think the base is great at the back when Dejan Lovren's kind of your, your supposedly best defender. Um, the only other one I'll throw into the mix um, is Peru. I think Peru mm. could also be really fun. I was lucky enough to be out there during a lot of um, their World Cup qualifying and I can't say enough how gassed that country is. I think it's 40 years since they've been in a World Cup. Everyone on game day, and I mean everyone in the street, wears a Peru shirt. Um, and their captain, Rafael Guerrero, who's like the talisman, their best player, played in Europe for basically most of his career. I think he played for Bayern Munich. He obviously has just been given uh, that ban, that ridiculous ban to do with the kind of cocaine coca tea thing. Um, he's now back in and he can play and he scored, I think, two goals in their final friendly the other night and they look really good. Um, what was your take on that, by the way? Sorry, sorry Lloyd, but um, when you say it was a ridiculous ban... Well, so it was you... it was to do with... Um, so it's in, in Peru, people, lots of people drink the coca tea because of the... Um, because of the altitude um, yeah. to basically prevent the altitude sickness. And it's, it's, it's kind of everywhere. And um, the story goes with him that he was contaminated uh, because uh, he was basically very close to it, but didn't actually drink it. And he right. got given a ban, which was supposed to be, I think it was something like uh, 60 days. And it's just, it got dragged out, dragged out, dragged out. Um, and... Yeah, and it basically was going to result in him missing the World Cup, and thankfully, I think it got appealed right to the um, kind of the the whatever the f kind of sport, the highest yeah. sporting court is, and 
they've given him a buffer to play this tournament and he might be banned afterwards. Um, which, to be honest, I think he won't be too fussed about because he's 32 and, like I said, Peru haven't got to a World Cup in 40 years. So I think all, all he'll be bothered about is this and he'll probably be hanging his boots up. So I'm very glad to see that because he is... he is yeah, He's just... He epitomises a South American footballer. He's a massive, kind of tattooed, like angry bloke, but he's actually quite quite technically good and he just ties everything together because I think often with those kind of smaller teams what they often really lack is someone that can put it in the net and they've got that in him so I think that makes them um, a good story but also a good chance of surprising a few people especially given that their group is a bit shit um, in that they're in France's group and they've got Australia and Denmark Um, so I think there's a chance that they could beat Denmark to that second place. Well, I mean, I can't remember the guy's name. He's, he's a well-known footballer. I just can't remember who he is. Um, and if Guerrero couldn't, you know, if he was banned, uh, it was going to be this guy who's going to step in. And I think he's 39. So it just shows the dearth of kind of, you know, options they had up front uh, if he if he wasn't uh, available. Okay, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, I mean, that just underlines it then, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Um, well, when you said then, sorry, mate, but when you said then, was it Group C or Group D that they're in? C, I um, think, and yeah. you said it. Yeah, and instead of a bit shit, I can test that. I I just think it's open. I just think that that's one of those. But there's two groups, which are really open for me, uh, and that's one of them. Um, you know, Denmark have got a lot about them. Australia, if they raise their game at the World Cup, then they could have, they've got some quality in there as well with Moy Moy etc. Um, and then in Group D as well, I think you expect Argentina to progress, but you can Ooh. pick between Croatia, Nigeria, or Iceland. Um, so, you know, they're my two favourite groups, if you like, to keep an eye out on because, you know, each game matters there. Well, that's a that's a really good segue, actually, into our into our oh. next thing, <laughs> which is team... I'm going to get you, James, first of all, to pick a team that might flop, and I know you might be picking a team that Steve just mentioned. Yeah, so um, the team that I'm looking at is probably going to be uh, Argentina. Um, so I, the, re, the reason for that is I'm just looking through the squad at the moment and I'm looking at Willy Caballero in net. Uh, I'm looking at the three centre-halves, Otamendi, uh, Marcus Rojo and Fernando Fazio as well from Roma and that just screams calamity to me. Um, <laughs> as good as what Otamendi has been this year, I think that's got a lot to do with Pep. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I'm concerned about Argentina. I think Higuain uh, probably... It will flop. I think he'll be potentially the biggest flop um, out of everybody there. Uh, and I don't think Aguero is fully fit yet, but I don't think it'll be long until he's he's fit and firing and, re- and ready to go. Because you know, every time I think of Argentina, I think of that miss in, in the uh, World Cup final in Brazil in, in 2014. And I, I don't, yeah, I, I think if Aguero is on the other end of that, he, put, he puts it away. So uh, yeah, I'm a bit concerned about Argentina. Uh, I don't think they've got the options. I think it's all going to be about Messi, 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 as it always is with them. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm backing those. I think they'll get through the group. Uh, but interestingly, uh, touching on what you just said, Lloyd, the, if Peru do finish second, they'll play. They'll come up against Peru in the ne- in the next round. Um, and then obviously Peru Peru played them twice in the uh, in the qualifiers, and, for, and Argentina drew with them both times as well. Yeah, they did. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm interested to see that. Um, I'd like to say I think they should top the group with, with the other sides that are in it but the you know the game against Peru I think it could, could be an interesting fixture well I'm going to I'm going to butt in and I'm also going to go Argentina I mean to be honest apart from England if I could pick anyone that I'd like to see win it it would 
it would probably be Argentina because I just so want Messi to win the World Cup and I would love Aguero to finally basically have an international tournament where he has the chance and kind of gets it by the cojones. Um, I think the encouraging thing from their point of view is, and from City fans' point of view, is that apparently in training over the last few days, Sam Paolo's been playing with Aguero up front, not Higuain. Um, so that looks like, it looks like he's going to start the first game. But as Steve said, I think there's a chance they don't get out of that group. Um, that team is so, so fragmented. Um, you look across it and like you said, James, I think there's n- hardly any players in form. Lanzini, who'd become quite a good and important player for them, did his ACL. Fazio at centre-back, I mean, and Rojo as the backup. Um, I think it could, it, it's got it's got the got the possibility of just being a bit of a mess um, and yeah I think given the group they're in there's a chance they could get they could not get out of the group Steve what do you think? Yeah I, I go along with that I, I think there's two kind of um, big teams big fancy teams in this World Cup who could go one or two ways um, because equally let's face it Argentina could go on and win it so um, and I'd say the other one was Portugal for me um, yeah, I, I'm agree. not suggesting and I don't, I'm not I'm not suggesting that I think they'll flop. Um, I, I I honestly don't know. But when I look at Portugal, you see a team of just won the Euros. Now people sometimes, you know, there's two ways of looking at that. You could see that as a positive and all the confidence of going into a World Cup two years later. Um, or you could see it where you've got a team who kind of thinks they've they've done it now. They've they've proved themselves. When you look at the age of the team, and right through, it's 30, 31, 32, 36, 34. This is a team basically playing their final tournament. Um, and then you've got a manager in Santos who is knocking on. I think he's about 66 now. He's got two years left uh, after this. But he knows it's a huge overhaul. After this World Cup, Portugal start again, essentially, with six or seven world-famous footballers, you know, coming to the end of their career and being replaced by um, their kind of younger uh, successors. Does uh, does he have it in him to kind of go through all that long haul of kind of, you know, the five, six years necessary to take them back to this level? I'm not sure. So for the manager and for the bulk of this Portugal team, I think this is going to be their final tournament. And how they kind of deal with that mentally, how they go out, do they go out of a bang or a whimper, that's really hard to call. So, um, yeah, Argentina and Portugal are the two who are susceptible to being kind of labelled flops in, in three or four weeks' time. I think that's a great shot. Completely agree with both of that, uh, both of those analogies. Um, can, can I throw out Belgium in there as well? Yeah, I was just going to get you to. Brave. Yeah, so... Brave indeed. <laughs> I, um, yeah, so, so my concern about Belgium is solely with Roberto Martinez. Um, I think he's, you know, I think we've seen throughout the, his Premier League career, apart from one horrible day at Wembley um, you know he's he la- he's lacking in tactical now um, I think he's got a lot of big name players who are ultimately a lot bigger than the manager and I don't think that's going to be a good combination whatsoever um, De Bruyne when he plays for City he is absolutely phenomenal and he's got Pep in his ear all game imagine the difference having Pep in your ear to having Roberto Martinez in your ear but at the same time he doesn't have the same impact for Belgium Every, everybody talks about that. I heard Christoph Terra talking about that earlier today. Um, and again, Edin Hazard as well. I think Edin Hazard is as good as he wants to be. And if, when, when he's up for it, he's up for it. 
but there's there's talk already of discontent in the in the camp there, and they almost re- remind me of like a Holland side from the nineties or early two thousands where they've got a lot of talent, um, but ultimately they don't really get along with each other, and that and that's reflected in the performances. Interesting one, I think. Mm. Yeah, interesting one. I, I think the the thing that I would agree with most is, I think it especially not even from a City fan point of view, to be honest, it's just going to be really interesting to see how De Bruyne goes because he's being asked to do something quite different, I think, to what he does at City in that they are playing with a back three and they're playing with wing-backs and he's basically being asked to play alongside what looks like it'll be Axel Witzel and he will be playing a bit deeper, um, which you know I think he's shown for City that he's he's more than capable of doing that, but um, it's it's going to be something different. He's going to be... Playing with a diff, a, a real different setup in you know, uh, very often very nimble and kind of agile forward in Aguero or 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 Jesus to you know playing and playing in and around Lukaku. So I think that's definitely one to watch. But I think obviously the the the, the big thing for them is that they they went really well against Costa Rica the other night and apparently both. Well, I watched a half, but um, from all accounts, um, Hazard and De Bruyne both played excellently. So we'll have to see on that one. Um, Lukaku scored two really good goals as well. Yeah, he's shit, Lukaku. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, for right. all the, the positives that we've said about England with the, the two kind of you know easy-ish or manageable opening games, the same goes for Belgium too. So you know th- that'll give them a lot of confidence if they get two wins under the belt uh, ahead of the kind of the third game against England. No, definitely, definitely. Beyond that, you know, I, I think James, you know, made a lot of sense there. I think you know, there was a lot of good points put forward, and and they could implode. And I'm hardly Roberto Martinez's biggest fan. Um, I just, I don't know. You look at that Belgian team, and you think, okay, if one or two of those players don't perform, they've still got one or two players who, if they did perform, you know, like Hazard, for example, they can still demolish you. So I don't know. I don't think they have a great deal of strength and depth either. So, I mean, obviously, company's injured at the moment. So, for Marlon's likely to be called in, and he's obviously only played a handful of games recently. Um, Dedrick Boyata's knocking around the squad as well, isn't yeah. he? Which is yeah. ridiculous. He started yeah. against Costa Rica, didn't he? Yeah, it's crazy. And then if you think Courtois gets injured and you're playing Simon Mignolet in that, then, you know, anything can happen <laughs> from there. No, all good points. I think they've definitely got a depth problem. Definitely. And, yeah, to... The, the drop from company to Dedrick Boyata, I think most City fans <laughs> can attest, is quite a drop. So, yeah, let's see, let's yeah. see. Well, um, well, they've got some phenomenal players in the squad. They've got no, they have. Really four that's, that's, players in there as well, haven't they? That's the thing. I mean, you've got two guys in Hazard and De Bruyne who have proven that they can win games on their own easily. Um, so, you know, I just wish, you know, how lucky would we be for England to have just one of those? So, yeah. that, is the, that is the other side to the coin. Um, you've got Jesse Lingard, mate. <laughs> Mate, your favourite, <laughs> Jesse. Oh dear, I was, oh just ever ever since I bumped into him in Sainsbury's in in Altrincham, I just can't take that guy seriously. Um, <laughs> oh dear. Um, what, anyway, what did he what did he do? What happened? Oh, I just gave him. I was just being a bird. I just gave him loads of shit, and he just instantly knew I was a City fan, and I had an almond croissant, and he called me out for it. <laughs> and it was quite <laughs> it was quite witty at the time. But um, yeah, I'm with him on that one. To be fair, like <laughs> I made them delicious. What are you on about? Almond um, croissant. Yeah, mate, they're well nice. Well nice. Um, You've changed. Yeah, well, it's it's just go. It's just France. Asan got me into it. 
Um, all right, okay. Just last thing. Um, one word answer will do. Golden boot winner. Who's it for you, Steve? You can, or you can give a couple if you if you could if you can't name oh, it. Well, my, my heart says Sergio. My okay. head says. Well, actually, my head and heart says Jesus. Okay. What about for you, James? Yeah, boring answer. Gabby Jesus for me. I, I think, like I say, Brazil will go far, and I think he'll score a lot of goals on the way. Okay, I think I'll go slightly more left field, but not really. I think Griezmann. I think Griezmann. Yeah. Given, I think if France can, if they can get up and running in that group, given that you know, I think as we said before, there isn't there isn't kind of a defined second team that they could you know slap. They could potentially slap those three teams. Um, and yeah, their path to the to out of the group's pretty good. And given the ammunition behind him, I think if uh, I think if Griezmann gets supplied, it could be him. But yeah, I think there's you know there's there's a few, isn't there? There's there's Neymar, Harry Kane, maybe. Um, Thomas Muller always has a good World Cup, doesn't he? He does. Timo yeah. Werner actually, I think if Timo Germany Werner, get going, yeah. he looks like he, he could be a player. Mm. But yeah, no, I must say I like your Brazil and Gabriel Jesus bet, uh, James. I'm a bit jealous of that. <laughs> Do you, can you tell us what provider that was, or is it already gone? Uh, yeah, of course. So it was one of the requested bets. So I tweeted William Hill, and it came back forty to one. Really, forty to one. Yeah. So I've got a tag on that. So fingers crossed. Oosh, that's not bad. Well, beers on you if that comes in. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, great. Um, well, yeah, we'll wrap up there. Um, nice little debut, James. Well done, mate. Thank yeah, you very nice much. Well, well played. Cheers, Steve. Cheers, Steve, as usual. Pleasure, mate. And um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, so I think this will be, yeah, the last um, World Cup uh, pod before the 14th of June when, when it starts. That will be free, obviously, on on SoundCloud. And then everything will be moving back behind the 9320 player. So if you, if you like what you've heard over the last um, three episodes and you want to get involved, then... Details are on the website, details are on the Twitter, and yeah, we'd uh, we'd love love for you to get involved. Um but yeah, until the next podcast, um thanks everyone and speak to you soon.